Hey everybody, this is Devin Berryhill from the band The Termaliners here in San Diego, California, and you're listening to Rob on Into the Music Podcast. Today's show is brought to you in part by WCZR Code Zero Radio, your go-to for the best alternative and indie music. Find them at live.codezeroradio.com or download the free Code Zero Radio app. And now, let's get into the music. Well, hello everyone. This is Rob, and thanks for tuning in to Into the Music. Whether you're a regular listener or hearing Into the Music for the first time, please consider subscribing to the show. This will help keep the podcast going, and you'll be sure not to miss an episode. Subscribers will get a shout-out and a chance to make an appearance on the show. Just use the link in the show information. Back in May, surf guitarist Devin Berryhill was on the show, and he's back along with his band, The Termaliners. 2023 has been an incredible year for them, especially regarding their latest album, Surfidia. To date, the album has won the San Diego Music Awards Best Rock Album, Pipeline Instrumental Review's Album of the Year, and now they have a Grammy nod in the first round of voting. Surfiti is not your typical surf music album because the wide palette of sounds and styles combined with the spring reverb makes for one fantastic listen. So with that, I welcome to the show the Termaliners. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. We're doing great. Good to be here, Rob. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. This is so great to have all you guys here. And not only do we have the Termaliners, but we have producer Miles Clowminzer. Well, I'm stoked to have the whole band here tonight. And Devin, welcome back. Good to be here. Glad to see you. So I, I want to go around the horn here and let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, tell us about uh, your role in the band and anything else you want to share about your music career. Well, uh, I guess I'll start. Um, again, my name is Devin, and, uh, you know, we, about two years, we, we've been a band now for five years, but uh, since, uh, what, 2018 when we started. But um, a couple of years before that, you know, I was wanting to form a band again. It was kind of on my heart. I was writing some songs, and I demoed a number of tunes. And so I started handing out little burned copies on back when we used to burn CDs, you know, just 10 years ago, right? <laughs> I used to hand those out to my friends down at the beach. And then uh, I, they just encouraged me to put together a band because they wanted to hear the music live. So that's kind of my first inception of the band. But what about you guys, Joe, Matt? Hi, Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like Devin said, five years we've been playing together. Um, and actually Devin and I have kind of dabbled in some just, you know, uh, mutual interests of, uh, playing surf tunes and that, that's kind of how we, you know, got, got started playing stuff together. So it's just been a lot of fun, you know, enjoying the ride and being able to put together these tunes. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. We, uh, we all sort of kind of met a little bit through our, our church community here in San Diego. And I've always had a love for uh, American roots music, um, blues, R&B, and, and the surf thing is really in that same kind of vein. It's American roots music. 
So uh, when Devin uh, was putting it together, I uh, told him, yeah, I, I cut my teeth on, on surf music because it was kind of easier to play and you could play it without a singer because mm-hmm. like a lot of instrumentals. So, you know, it was just kind of fun stuff that you could get together, you know, in the garage. And, and anyway, that's kind of how we got going. And uh, when he told me he was going to do it, I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's check it out. Let's see where we go with it. And, and we've just been uh, kind of building it. And we, little by little, we just keep on uh, doing things. And we, we wrote a bunch of songs for this <clears throat> record. And my son, Miles, actually produced the record and really liked what he added to it. And it was, it was a really good team effort, man. Had a little, everybody sort of jumped in and, and added some nice colors to it. And so it's great. We, f- we feel proud of it. John, you're up next. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I play some drums in the band. I've been with the band for about five years. And, yeah, I mean, I did, did contribute to the album. Uh, it was a great experience working with Miles. Uh, he is also a very creative and uh, awesome drummer. And uh, he came up with some really great ideas. And it was an honor to translate basically what he came up with you know and play a lot of it in my own way and and be able to translate some of that stuff live it's uh it's been a lot of fun it's been a creative journey kind of listening to what we did in the studio and being able to make that happen live and uh yeah miles you're up oh yeah well um yeah i, I kind of came into knowing this band and stuff because my you know my dad plays in it and they were thinking about working on another record and I've done some producing in the past. So it sounded like a good idea to me. You know, it's, I love that, that all that old vintage surf music, but guitar tones and reverb. So yeah, it's been a really fun process and it was fun learning about a lot of that, you know, the history and the sounds. Devin's a total aficionado. So it was awesome learning from him you know, about arrangements and all that stuff. But yeah, it was a really fun process. Well, it it turned out great. It's really been one of those albums that I keep coming back to over and over again this year. It's a job well done on all your parts there. So I just want to take a second here and look at the success of the album before we get into the album itself. So Like I had said before, it won the Best Rock Album at this year's San Diego Music Awards. It won the Pipeline Instrumental Reviews Album of the Year for 2023 over in the UK. And now you got, as of the interview, we're doing this on November 1st, it received a preliminary round Grammy nod for Best Contemporary Instrumental Album. I mean... How are you guys feeling with all these accolades? Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Not, <laughs> I can not imagine. too bad. <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> pretty awesome. Feel pretty okay. good about it. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of shocked. We've been nominated three other times at the San Diego Music Awards for a Tourmaline Dream. We were we were just stoked to get nominated for that. And then we did um the Christmas album was nominated, and then we 
did a video one year. We didn't have a recording, but we, oh, the Point Break video we did with uh, director uh, Stephen Tavares, and we got nominated for best video. So we've been in like best local recording nomination, best rock for Terminally Dream, then best video, and we didn't win each time. And so when Surfidia came up, it was kind of like <laughs> we'd met another, there was another artist there that had won that night. And we talked to them, John, I, th- I think you might, you might've been with me or Joe and we're talking to them. They're like, yeah, we were nominated nine times before yeah. we won. <laughs> nine. We were like, we felt pretty good. We were, sorry. we were like, okay, cool. We're ahead of the game. But uh, that was such an amazing experience. And, you know, the, the event itself is kind of like the Academy Awards. They call your name and you, you know, there's a couple thousand people there and you walk up on stage and, give your little acceptance speech and they give you a little uh, award. So that was, that was a big boost. And then the, the UK award for uh, pipeline magazine, you know, they gave us album of the year for tourmaline dream co-album. There was another British group. I forget the name, but they, they gave, they couldn't give it to us <laughs> exclusively. They always have to put their British thing into it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then this time we finally won flat out. You know, right. No no British group thrown in there too. So I don't know if they do that to sell records or sell copies of their magazine or what, but uh, locally for them. But uh, anyway, we just found that out like two weeks ago. I just, I get the magazine. They didn't even email me and tell me. I just get the magazine in the mail and I'm flipping through and I'm like, huh, I wonder when they do their album of the year award. <laughs> and I I'm like, uh, must not be this issue. And then I flip back to the first page, and it's like right there. I'm like, oh, we won! Wow, you know. So it was kind of a shock, to be honest with you. So that was cool. And the, of course, the Grammy thing that that kind of came about through Pacific Records, our, our record label. About a month ago, Brian Wickin, the CEO of Pacific Records, calls me on a Sunday night and says. Oh, hey, Devin, you know, we were talking about something else. And he goes, oh, oh, by the way, tomorrow morning, you're on the ballot for a Grammy. Um, <laughs> there's a voting <laughs> process. And apparently there's 12,000 voting members of the Grammys. And somehow we have to connect with all 12,000 and get them to vote for us. I'm like, luckily, I knew one, my dad. My dad is the only <laughs> I knew I, I knew one other guy up in Orange County, but. I think he let his Grammy dues pass and he, he couldn't vote for us. But um, anyway, it's kind of a long shot on that, but you know, you never know. We, we uh, bought some advertising uh, through some e-commerce opportunities and Pacific records has some people, but uh, a network of people. And there were three other artists from Pacific records that were nominated or on the nomination, whatever you call it, uh, ballot mm-hmm. as well. So, we're kind of part of a team effort too, which is cool. It's not just us by ourselves. It's like there's three other acts that Pacific Records is putting forth uh, in the process in their marketing to get Grammy uh, voters to vote for us. So very cool. We'll be right back after this short break. Is real music dying? What even is real music and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions, and we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, 
we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, let's go back to when you started working on the album initially. Tell us about the writing and recording of it. Was it conceived in whole, or did you write a number of tunes and decide which ones worked best as a collection? And how did Miles come into the project as a producer? Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, as I remember, Deb and I, and I were sitting... We were chatting at one point and, and I was playing him some demos of some, uh, you know, some songs that I had written. And and then, I don't know, maybe not much longer after that, he's all, hey, well, what would you think about, you know, doing, uh, you know, collaborating and, and getting some of this, uh, you know, writing some stuff for a, a new Termliners album? And and um, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because I, I was really thinking uh, Miles and I, my son, were talking about trying to get songs that sort of captured the feeling of Southern California and, and all the things that were influenced by here, whether it's, you know, spaghetti western, desert sounds, or south of the border stuff. And we just had a bunch of stuff in that lane. And I think Devin, um, you know, he's just like the guy for all that Dick Dale, you know, what what you really know is like surf guitar type stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of looking to, um, you know, maybe spread it out a little bit so so that we had a little bit more range. So I feel like that was kind of my role to sort of step in and kind of introduce some stuff that the band could get a, a hold of and, you know, and really make, you know, some cool sounds and uh, and I think we did some homework too. Like I know Miles, he's a good student. And when he knew he was going to do a surf record, well, him and Devin were both pretty much like, well, we got to use a real reverb tank, you know, just to <laughs> just to just to have that. That'll be the the thread that you know. And then I think Miles was a good student. Did a lot of study and and just listening to a lot of what the the genre sounds like. And he kind of came up to speed and. And just kind of really helped us uh, do that. And then once we had it sort of sussed out, we started bringing the guys in and having them do their thing on it. And um, it just kind of came together like that. So I felt like we had some stuff that we wanted to do, you know, in, in terms of where we live. And then it just kind of came together with with some homework and, you know, and, and a team effort. So pretty much like that. Cool. Yeah. Well, all three of your albums have their own feel and vibe. I mean, Surfing Christmas Carols obviously has the holiday thing going for it. And Tourmaline Dream is just loaded full of all these well-crafted songs that are more along the traditional surf line, but with a few added touches like reggae and in Hawaiian influences thrown in. Now, Surfidia, you guys expand your sound like you had been saying, Matt. You had all these Southwestern and Tex-Mex flavors and a bit of sci-fi and some garage rock and some punk and reggae and spaghetti Western, you know, was all thrown in. 
It sounds like this was very intentional, but as the process developed, did you find that it was forced at all, or did this come together pretty organically as you worked on the songs? Well, for me, I thought it was probably one of the easiest collaborative experiences that I've been involved in. I mean, I thought it just like came together and everybody was like, yeah, let's try this. And okay, well, what, what about if we shorten this a little bit and do, I just, I don't know. I just kind of really, as we started to shape it all out, I feel like everybody was really on board, a lot of give and take. And, you know, every once in a while we had, you know, fight for some part we thought was cool. And the other guy's like, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so there's always that. But um, I think that it was a really good experience. I mean, what do you think miles as a producer? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, it was such a cool collaborative experience where we, we, there was just such a mutual respect and like, it never felt like, no man, this is, this is the way it's going to go. You know, it was, it was just a fun, fun, creative collaborative effort. You know, Joe was the only one getting wild in there as far as I remember. (laughs) My way or the highway. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was, it was a good time. You know, my, having, you know, Miles and Matt and I, we were the principal writers and arrangers of the tunes. And we would sit in Miles' control room with a couple of guitars and some percussion or a keyboard or something and kind of just to try to work out the song, you know, learn, teach each other the songs. You know, I think we originally, Miles, didn't we send you a bunch of demos, like little voice memos off of our phone? You wanted it all. He Miles really did a nice job of like compiling all of our ideas, whether they were something that that maybe they or myself had put on our own Pro Tools studio that were you know to a, maybe like a drum machine or a you know some kind of beatbox kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Miles really did a good job of kind of assembling what we'd had uh, separately into one piece, you know. And then when we'd sit as three, Matt would say, okay, here's, here's an idea I had. We'd listen to it, the, the recording part of it, and then he'd play it. And he'd show me, okay, this is what I'm doing. And if he wanted to play the lead, I, he'd teach me the rhythm, you know, and he'd show me the different chords and that. But, you know, having three was kind of a cool thing because if Matt and I were kind of, sometimes we'd get the, to a point where it's like, well, should we go left or right here, you know? Should we go A or B? <laughs> and Miles would break the tie. <laughs> and he was like, no, definitely A or definitely B. And it was, for me, it was always fun watching Miles have to be the tough guy a little bit, you know, with his dad, right? <laughs> As one of the players <laughs> and me, kind of the surf aficionado. So there was this, this interesting tension between all three of us. And then every once in a while, Matt and I would gang up on Miles and just go, ah, we got this. <laughs> yeah. Overall, it was not, not that much, though. Not that much, yeah. Some, yeah, sometimes, like, if somebody had an idea that they were trying to work, they'd have to at least get one other guy to sort of come along, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Good lobbying efforts. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, one song on the album that stands out to me is Starshine. Uh, It seems to have a number of the influences that we talked about going on throughout the song. There's the driving main riff that goes into reggae, and then 
the bridge, that has more of the southwestern thing. So you've got this confluence of all these different uh, styles, but yet the song just holds together so darn well. What sparks the ideas and how to combine elements like this? That's funny that you started with that one, Rob. That's a funny one because that song, that song right there, I was coming in with my, to Miles and Miles wasn't having it. He's like, yeah, I don't know, maybe for a different project, but I don't, I don't think so. So then I had to lobby Devin and go, Devin, come on, man, what do you think? About <laughs> and Devin was like, yeah, you know what? It's got, might be cool. What, what if we did something like reggae with it? Like in the, I didn't really want to go with the reggae thing, but just to get it going, I said, let's try it. So we did, and I think it came out really cool. And then we had a, sort of this vision for this Telstar kind of sound on the bridge, and Miles had these crazy acoustics like going you know, in there to really kind of build that section. So yeah, it ended up being kind of a cool tune. Yeah, for me, it's one of the standout tunes on the album. Cool. So this might be covering some territory from Devin's previous interview on Into the Music, but you guys have some notable guests playing on Surfidia, and we're going to start first with Ron Blair from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and he's playing bass on voyage to mars what led to his participation well um you did an interview with our manager robin peters with rock and robin promotion she um we met her oh matt you knew her from some other work you'd done and you'd recommended her as a as a manager and so we hooked up with her i don't know maybe a year and a half ago maybe almost two years ago now but um she's friends with ron blair he lives in Carlsbad in San Diego County. <laughs> and we were like, wow, that's so cool. And, um, you know, I didn't want to bugger too much of it, but it kind of put a little seed in my head. Wow. If he lives in town, maybe, he, you know, if we ever did some, another album, it'd be great to have him come and play on the album because he not only played with Tom Petty, of course, off and on for a couple of different stats, but he also played on a side project when he left Tom Petty's band. I don't know. What was it like 81 or something like that? Um, yeah. During like the full moon fever period when Jeff Lynn got involved. And so uh, Ron left. And during that time, Mike Campbell, Tom's guitarist, really got into surf music in a real way. And actually met with Eddie Angel in the Low Straight Jackets. And he took Tom to go see them uh, in L.A. when they were playing there, when the Low Straight Jackets were playing. In fact, I've seen a photo of all those guys together. And Mike was so inspired from that, he invited Low Straight Jackets to come to his home studio and record some tracks. And so Low Straight Jackets goes over there and records a full album with the material. They, Mike Campbell let him record that album there. Mm -hmm. And uh, through the process, and what I understand from Eddie, Mike didn't charge him a dime of studio time at all to do like a whole album. So anyway, as a gift, Low Street Jackets went and purchased a 1965 Moserite, the white with the black pickguard, just like the Ventures used back in the day. You see their early promo shots. So they gave that as a, as a gift to uh, Mike Campbell for doing that. Well, Mike was so inspired by that, he took that guitar, invited Ron Blair over and a couple other guys. Let's do a side project, and they called it the Blue Stingrays. 
and the blue stingrays was like they took on fake names and i heard late i read tom petty's biography and they talk about that period they had to go under fake names they worked with epitaph records up in la which was a big label for like i think bad religion and a lot of punk bands came out of L.A., you know, in the late early 80s. Social Distortion might have been on there. These kind of bands, Descendants, whatever. So anyway, they even changed it to Epitome Records. They changed the name of the label. They took on fake names. So according to the book, they didn't want to upset Tom. Because <laughs> 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 I guess he was pretty sensitive about his players doing other projects. And so anyway, they put out this album called Surf and Burn. And I love that album. If you ever get a chance, if you, maybe you've heard it, but it, I have the vinyl. I just got the vinyl for it a couple of months ago. Beautiful album. That's the direction I was seeing surf music because the drums were so like present and like they even covered like Goldfinger by, you know, the James Bond theme song. And, but they wrote a bunch of originals and it was like recorded so well. It was like you were just. It was like the best sounding surf album I've ever heard using modern technology, but still retained that classic kind of vintage sound. So when I heard Ron Blair was in town, eventually I got the guts to ask Robin. I said, hey, Robin, you think uh, Ron would want to play a track? Because he played bass on Blue Stingrays. And Robin knew all about the Blue Stingrays thing, too. And she's like, well, let me ask him. Sure enough. She said, well, give me a couple tracks. He's got a home studio where he records his stuff there. He won't come and just record it at you guys. You guys send him the basic tracks. Like, you know, you can do that with Pro Tools now, where he just played along to our, our little demo. I gave him a couple songs, and he chose, he he liked Voyage to Mars. And he loved it. And he said he said it sounded a little like Telstar, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he liked about it, kind of that spacey feel. So... He laid down this buttery bass line. And so uh, he sent that over to us and we flew that in through Miles's wonderful abilities. And voila, Ron Blair <laughs> on that. Yeah. Nice. So we're going to play that track right now. Here's the Termaliners with Voyage to Mars.
playing the best alternative rock with a focus on the Fox Valley music scene. WCZR Code Zero Radio is available on our website live.codezeroradio.com or you can download our feature-packed app that includes on-demand content from recent shows on the schedule. Give us 20 minutes a day, you'll be hooked for life. WCZR Code Zero Radio. All right, next you have Eddie Angel of Low Straight Jackets on Swanky. This is like some garage rock mixed with the surf, and and this is like right up Eddie's alley. I had Eddie on the show a few weeks back, and he said how much he enjoyed working on the song and the video with you guys. What was it like to have him in on both that song and the video? The video was great. You so, so cool. Yeah, what's it like to have them aboard? Well, Joe, you were on the video. And John, why don't you guys talk about the video first? Yeah, the video was fun. It was exciting. Uh, we got we we're fortunate to, to use the uh, the venue that we we're, we play quite often uh, every month. Tio Leo's. Eddie had uh, happened to be in town with the Straight Jackets playing just north of us uh, at a club called the Belly Up, and he was touring with X and. Uh, you know, he had a little free time, and we were gracious enough. He was gracious enough to come on down and spend some time with us. And uh, you know, we were able to shoot some some scenes with him. And he was just such a great guy. We got to have lunch with him and talk with him, and he told some great stories, um, some stories that I've retold because <laughs> uh, he was so entertaining. Um, but just a, it was an honor to have him with us in the video. It's an honor to have lunch with him and talk with him. And he's definitely. Uh, I mean, there's some heritage there, so it was uh, it was great. It was, I mean, like I said, it's an honor. Joe? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He, it was a lot of fun being with him. He was really cool doing the recording and then having lunch. and Maybe the only way that you could see him without his mask on. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, when, when we got those tracks that he sent in, we were laughing so hard because he's such a great guitar player and and the stuff that he sent was just so perfect and, and quirky for that song that just uh, his whole timing and i mean the way he plays was just uh it was just amazing and, and so and it worked perfect for that song too you know we sort of had this link ray thing going with it but then um, Eddie really elevated it, and we thank you for that, Eddie. We really appreciate what you did on it. Yeah, and I would really encourage folks, go and check out the video. The video is so fun. The interplay between you guys and Eddie on that thing, really well done. Okay, and thirdly, we have Bob Spaulding of The Ventures on Giant Dipper. Now, Bob isn't one of the original ventures but he certainly has stature carrying on the ventures legacy these days so the ventures have covered a lot of musical territory over the decades and yet they have their own sound some of which shows up on giant dipper you know what inspired you to have bob play on this specific track well, first of all, Bob, I met Bob playing with my dad with, with the Safaris, and we did a tour with them back in like, I don't know, before COVID, maybe 2019 or something like that. And so we did a series of shows playing together, which was awesome. And I got to just hear him play. You know, Bob's kind of the fifth venture, you know, he's that guy that was with them 
he really started with Mel Taylor, uh, the drummer. Uh, Mel did a solo project, Mel Taylor and the Dynatones or something like that. And Bob was a big part of that. And so when a member of the band, the original lineup of the Ventures either would have a health issue or couldn't go on tour to Japan or whatever tour they were trying to do, Bob was kind of the fill-in guy. He could play bass. He could play all the guitar parts. And according to Bob, Don Wilson really mentored him in all things ventures. So just how to run the business. He worked closely with the ventures manager, which is Fiona, which was Mel's wife, his widow now, of Mm -hmm. course. So anyway, Bob and I just kept in touch. I sent a copy of Tourmaline Dream, our first album, to Bob, uh, just for him to listen to and just, you know, get his thoughts. And I didn't hear from him for a few months, so I thought, well, maybe he hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he thought it sucked. But I was like, oh, well, okay, I guess we'll move on. And then I get this random phone call a few months later, and he's like, Devin, are you sitting down? I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll sit down. He's like, I got to tell you, I love these songs that you did. It was such an honor. I was like, oh, my gosh, wow. He really – he said something really – profound to me he says Devin I listen to a lot of the I get sent a lot of the the modern surf bands albums he says you listen to a song and a half on most of these surf band albums you've heard the entire album in a song and a half they're just very redundant there's not enough focus on songwriting and it's all style they get the reverb sound but they don't have songs he goes your album has truly crafted songs with melodies you can remember and come along to and they stick with you you know they connect with you emotionally and so that was like the biggest compliment i could ever get kind of thing you know i was like wow that was cool so when we came to this album i thought you know who would i like to have play on this record you know other than the other two and i just thought you know it'd be great to have bob he showed so much interest in our previous material and so i called him up and i said hey listen would you be open to you know he lives in austin texas you know I said, well, would you be interested if I send you a demo? I told him, well, Eddie's played on it and Ron's played on it. You know, kind of butter him up a little bit. Like, There you go. <laughs> kind of, you know, you'd just be one of the three famous people on the album kind of thing. And so he said, yeah, sure, send it over. And we got those tracks back. I remember Miles, remember when we first heard those back? I sent them over to you and you assembled them and put them in. And it was just so cool to hear these harmony lines and I didn't tell him what to do. I just said, put whatever you want on it. Just gave him full reign. And he played like rhythms and little harmony glissandos and all all kinds of cool stuff all over it. So we were really jazzed when we heard it, but it was so ventures. It just had that, the way he walked into certain lines on the melody, it was like, it was like right off the ventures playbook. And I was like, perfect. You know, so. Nice. Well, the leadoff track, Grimace, is a heck of a track. I mean, what a way to start the album. I mean, it's explosive, it's fun, and to my ear, it's like this really cool mix of traditional surf with, like, Ramones-type punk. Uh, Was that the intended direction for that? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I wanted to, I, coming, coming into this record, I was like, there needs to be one song with fuzz bass on it. So that was the one. <laughs> there needs to be a, a punk rock element to this thing, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, that was definitely one of my faves. 
I kind of get with the baseline on there. It's almost like a Sheena is a punk rocker, you know, but surf style, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the Ramones had surf in them. I mean, oh, they yeah. Crazy adventures on their albums. I mean, they're, they're playing Moe's right guitars. I mean, just like the ventures. So they got that kind of surf in their, their thing. So we were just, we're just pulling that element of right. the, that period of time into our music as well. Cool. Well, let's take a listen to that one right now. Here's the Termaliners with Grimace. Right. Well, on a number of the tracks, there's a definite southwestern feel. Con Permiso, Loco Moco, Coyote, Santiago, and Picante are all in this category, but each one seems to take on a different aspect of the southwest. Am I saying that correctly, Con Permiso? Con Permiso. Con Permiso. With your permission. Okay. 
in a way, I hear that as like a cinematic type of thing, like an old Western with good guys giving chase to bad guys. You know, Loco Moco, what a party tune. Coyote takes you into that Southwest desert type of landscape. Santiago puts you on the ocean side to that place you want to escape and have a margarita. You know, I think that's a great margarita song. And Picante is part Clint Eastwood spaghetti western and part classic surf. It doesn't get any better than that. How were you able to give each of these their own identity, yet they all seem to work together within the whole Southwestern vibe? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think each song just came from a simple place, a simple melody. And then it, it just sort of goes from there and it just kind of wants to have a certain kind of identity. One of my favorites was Coyote. I I loved that one. It felt very cinematic, but yeah, definitely desert kind of feel. But we, yeah, we loved adding a lot of feeling like sound, sound design sort of type things to make it feel like you're somewhere, you know? Yeah. I want to second what Miles said. This is John here. Um, I remember when I received some scratch tracks of these songs and I was actually driving up towards Santa Barbara and I was in my car and I was listening to Coyote in particular. And I just remember hearing these sounds and I, and I was kind of just blown away on use the term sound design. Uh, I think it's genius. I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music that I've ever been able to play live and explore. It's I tell listeners, I would tell people like, don't just listen to the album, but give it a good deep listening because I think you'll you'll hear something uh, almost new every time you listen to it. And I and I credit Miles with that. There's always like a little vocal or some little thing that I hear when I listen to just most a lot of songs on the album, but Coyote in particular. I think it's got to be one of my favorite songs on the album. And I just wanted to put my two cents in there to say kudos, bravo to Miles for the work that he did on that song because I really I think it's brilliant. For sure. Matt, you had the original idea on that song. What kind of inspired that? Well, I think it was that, you know, like the idea of us all being inspired by kind of old Clint Eastwood films and all that, uh, you know, kind of cinematic feeling. And like John said, Miles did a really good job of kind of making us feel like we're out on the, you know, crossing the prairie and stuff by having some of the, I don't know what he did, but some kind of surround sound, like, all these crazy things that you really feels like you know you're traveling or something so i don't know i think that was that was it it was just all of our influences that just sort of you know we would thought well well, what would this sound like and we wanted to have theme i was first hearing the theme kind of like with these like uh on the chorus like i I heard trumpets kind of playing that melody but um but you know we're surf bands so we're we did it on our instruments but i would love to i i told dev and i i really I think it would be great to do a video with that tune with a mariachi band, like a collaboration at some point. So maybe that's for another day. I really enjoy the the Spanish classical guitar on that one. It is so well done. It's a crowd pleaser. When we play it live, too, you know, we're playing all electrics up there, so we don't pull out the acoustic to do, you know, the intro and the outro. So we play it on the electrics, clean sound, kind of get that a similar tone, but... Every time we play that song live, you know, it's so different from the rest of the set. You know, Coyote's like, it just, it is, it's just cinematic and it, 
but we just played last Sunday and we played it live. And every time we play it, people just kind of sit back in their chair and they just settle in. You know, yeah. it's like kind of one of those concert moments where it's kind of like some people are still kind of dancing. They'll they'll kind of do a little sway back and forth, but a lot of people just kind of they just sit back in and absorb it. It's cool to watch because mm-hmm. we're mostly a dance band. I mean, most of the time, people we got a lot of energy and we get people involved and they're on the dance floor or they're rocking out in their chair or whatever. But that song in particular, though, is one of those tunes that just kind of. It, it almost like resets the whole event we're playing because it, it just puts, it just brings you into this new space. And so for us live, it's a, it's a highlight to pull it out. And it, I think it shows some of our, I don't know, a little more finesse, a little more character, a little more depth, maybe, you know, I hate to say, you know, Oh, we're so this deep band. We're, you know, we love to have fun, but at the same time we love playing the music and it really gives us an opportunity to stretch out a little bit and, kind of feel the music, so to speak. Right, right, absolutely. Well, speaking of the Southwestern vibe here, that Brian Bent art that's on the cover is so spot on. Devin, when you were on the show last, you told about the whole process of meeting Brian and getting his art. And I look at what he's done. I've looked through his other pictures and his galleries and stuff, and I would love to have one of his paintings hanging right here in my home. Are there any plans to do any further work with him on future projects? I hope so. You know, John, John's the one that originally, John, tell him how you kind of connected on that. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, being uh, in a surf band, I mean, uh, I know Devin surfs, and I think everyone in the band at some point surfed. <laughs> But I surf, and I used to see this really cool car. So I think it's a Falcon. Is it a Falcon, Devin? What does he drive? A Valiant. Valiant. Okay, got it wrong. Um, but it's really, it's a super rad car. And I see it in the parking lot, and I was like, man, that thing's so cool. And then somebody told me, oh, yeah, it's owned by this really cool artist guy. And so um, they told me his name, and eventually I looked him up on I found him on Instagram. And I, I started looking at some of his stuff, and I was like, you guys, really impressed. And with his creativity and uh, how he approaches interpreting a day at the beach or whatever it might be, the desert. So uh, I had kind of uh, just been following him. And when this album was coming about and I was listening to some scratch tracks, I think I asked Devin, um, what do you think about this Brian Bent for an album cover? You know, I think, I think he kind of like has this really cool thing going. And it kind of, when I look at his art, I hear our music, you know, and I think in the beginning, it was kind of like, um, you know, I don't know if we can afford this guy. I don't know if it's in the budget, you know. And so it kind of like pushed that idea to the side. But um, it just so happened to be, uh, coincidentally, uh, that he was doing a series of album, classic album covers, surf album covers. He was painting the back of some uh, leather jackets. And he had just posted uh, a Safari's Wipeout album cover. I saw that and I remember reaching out to Devin almost immediately saying, this is your chance. This is your chance to break the ice with this guy and talk to him and tell him kind of where we're coming from and see if he's willing to contribute, you know? And I think the rest is history. I think he sent Devin some stuff, but yeah, he's great. I mean, I would encourage anybody if you, if you haven't seen his art, Brian Bent, uh, B-E-N-T, he's fantastic. Yeah, we actually had to go surf with him. Remember when we first yes. met with Dan and Oakley? We actually we had our first meeting with him out in the water. We had to paddle out to him. <laughs> <laughs> cool. 
He's a good so, surfer, man. He's a good surfer. Yeah, he's really good longboarder, classic style. But remember, Miles and uh, Matt, when I brought the, he sent over a photo of the painting. It's an actual painting. The front cover and the back cover of the album is one continuous painting. If you were to like cut the album open and just go back to back, it's one full painting. And so, which is kind of funny, he already sold the painting, but he had the photo still. And that's the one I liked because it had a lot of space that we could put like the title of the album and our logo on the front and that kind of thing. And I love the the guitarist, but Miles, remember when we, we were right in the middle of Picante and we were like trying to get some inspiration. And I think I'd printed it out or something on a piece of paper and you pinned it on the wall in the studio. And we're like, <laughs> that's awesome. we're kind of like in the middle of Picante and we're kind of stuck. You know, we're in one of those moments where it really wasn't going anywhere. You remember this miles? And I'm yeah. like, how do we sound like that? And I pointed to the picture on the wall. I said, this song needs to sound like that. Hmm. And it, for some reason, it all clicked and all three of us, we were like me you and Matt were like, ah, and it just boom, came together. It was like, it was just something that it's like the cat, the picture sounds like John was saying, it's like, that's what we look like if in sound, you know, <laughs> or in picture, uh, in painting. I had this conversation the other day with uh, local artist Michael Murphy, and we were talking album covers, and what a great medium. I mean, that 12-inch square, I don't think there's a better medium for art out there. And when you got something like what you guys did with Brian, you're able to mesh it so well with the music. I mean, that's like a total experience when you buy an album. You know, there's so many albums that, yeah, the cover's okay, yeah, the songs are okay, but when they really mesh like that, that's a special thing. Thanks for saying that, Rob. We really felt that way. That was a really natural part of the collaboration as well. We just said, this image is what, you know, what the sound of this is, you know, so Mm -hmm. it was just really natural.
I want to go around the horn again here, and I want to have each of you tell us your personal favorite highlight for Surfidia. Favorite song or your favorite moment in recording it? And Joe, why don't you start us out? Sure. I think uh, my favorite part is they asked me, I have a 62 Fender Bandmaster. And so the guys asked me to bring that in, you know, we are getting the authentic sound. And so uh, it, it makes a difference and you have the older equipment, I think. And so that was part of the fun. And then just coming in, I, I had been given the scratch tracks, like John said, and had learned the material and just came in. And I would say uh, Cone Permiso was my favorite to record. And just, and then, you know, Miles would say, hey, add a little bit of this right here or Matt would say, Hey, you know, do it like this, just a little bit different, you know? And so it was fun. Just, you know, the collaboration process come for me. So probably my favorite. John, what about you? Well, it, um, it's kind of tough to pick one song. Um, but I think I already spoke on coyote a little bit earlier. Um, uh, I, I really like that song. I like listening to it, but as far as the studio goes, I would probably say, I had a lot of fun playing Picante and, and I had fun uh, with some percussion stuff on Tiki Woodbridge. That was a lot of fun. Um, I would say that just the ease, overall ease that I felt going into the studio, working with Miles and, and the gang, you know, the guys, uh, it was just kind of, there was a lot of laughing and uh, it was just, at least for my part, you know, uh, it was a lot of joking around. It was really light, and it didn't feel like work. It just came really naturally, I think, just everybody working together. I think that was probably my favorite memory. I would hope that every studio experience I get in the future uh, would have that same feeling of just effortlessly just having fun and, and making music. I will say the first time I heard Surfidia, maybe the first or second time I heard the title track, Surfidia, I was laying down the track for it really it was it was kind of fun and the, and the guys were so encouraging they were like uh, it's in six eight just just play you just you'll be fine and i was like can i can i listen to the song like once or twice and they're like no 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 you'll get it and they just kind of pushed me through it 
and Matt did such a great job of directing me as we were playing, and uh, it was so fun. And all of a sudden, you know, like I said, I didn't ha- I didn't get a chance to really think about what I was playing. It really just came naturally. Is that just hearing the song almost for the first or second time? Here I am playing, and that's what you hear. So that, I think that speaks to the um, the ease and the overall temperament that we had going in to the recording. It's just so, such a, a good mesh of personalities and music. And uh, yeah, it was an honor, fun, really fun. Nice. Devin, how about you? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think I could pick one song, but just to me, watching it all come together and we've talked about it before. I think what's unique about Surfidium, what I think people are responding to when they hear it, is just some guys getting together, willing to defer to each other and just kind of let it happen. You know, there's no attitude, no vibe. You know, I've been in bands where before in my younger days where everybody wanted to get their thing on the album or their part or my way of the highway kind of approach. And with this, it was just super, super laid back. And I think there was just some, like, I like, I'm glad Joe, uh, John brought up, there was just a lot of laughing, too. There's just so much joy involved, you know. We were just laughing. About, someone would come up with an idea, and we were like, perfect, you know. We'd just be cracking up. Or someone would make a mistake. That's the other thing. They were supposed to play it one way, and they ended up accidentally doing something that was so cool. We were like, no, 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 keep it. Do it again. <laughs> Later in the song, we're going to bring that back. You know, it was just those kind of moments where we were just, um, I'm trying to remember, Miles, was there any moment, like, I think there was a few moments where were definitely just, like, hardcore mistakes that were like, oh, no, no, that's the best mistake ever. I'm trying to think specifically. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything. But, yeah, yeah, there, there, were, there were so many great moments like that. Yeah, just happy accidents, you know. You know, we'd go and listen to a track like Miles would be like, hey, listen, I've been listening to the Messer Chubs. Check these guys out. They've got this horror surf thing. Remember when we were doing uh, Starshine, we were looking, you're like, the third verse, we've got to do something different on the guitar. And he's like, listen to this spooky guitar line that the Messer Chubs does. And it was this really kind of dark, kind of, you know, kind of wobbly vibrato thing happening and he's like listen to it doubled with the keyboard on top of it as well with like this spooky organ playing along with the melody at the same time it was like it was just those moments where it's like i you know i'm just thinking guitar but when you have a producer who can kind of be out of the band and look at it more objectively you know from maybe more of a uh, you know more of a thirty thousand foot view of of the music it's not attached you know matt and i we're like right in the music Because, you know, it's like, oh, I wrote that, you know, so you have that certain amount of attachment to that initial, those initial ideas. And I think it was, it was so fun to have all of us really collaborate. And of course, and I'll mention this too, we had uh, Ina at the time was in the band still, and she uh, brought in some nice keyboard parts as well and had her come in. And I think she doubled some of that stuff on Starshine as well, but uh, just a overall just a fun experience Uh, matt how about you well yeah everybody you know i think you know rob but we're you know we're all believers in the band so pretty much any time we start a session we would kind of pray over it you know most of the time we did and and so that all that always brought a lot of joy into it you know Mm -hmm. and then um in terms of like 
standout. I'm always partial to uh, it's like, like it is hard to pick a standout because there's something special about all the tunes. But mm-hmm. I'm partial to some good to some good barn burners. So you know, Grimace had a lot of fire, and then uh, I like Closeout too. That just had a real. That was a tricky tune to record. We we couldn't quite get the vibe on it, so we just kind of started o- over with it, just like stripped it down, guitar and bass and drums, and and then it kind of sort of re recame alive. But uh, on the other side, I think what was cool was uh, some of the more um, elegant stuff, like um, uh, I like Tiki Woodbridge and, and Santiago and those things because I I felt like we did well to leave the melodies enough room and not enough space and just to have a good amount of restraint so that they you know could be iconic and not you know overdone so i felt like we did a good job with those efforts on some of the more sensitive stuff yeah nice miles well yeah in terms of (laughs) something just came to mind to me when we were it was it's voyage to Mars, I think that Devin and I were just listening to all these samples of rocket ships to put on the, <laughs> to put on the background, and we're just like just nerding out like, no man, it's got to be bigger sounding, and you know, yeah. and and my dad's back there like, man, what are you guys doing? You know, <laughs> just, that was such a funny like. No, it just needs to be bigger. We got to layer more rockets, you know. <laughs> and these are like two kids playing with like army men over there. <laughs> I'm like, aren't we supposed to be writing songs? And they're like playing with all this. <laughs> yeah, like, like the first time it was like kind of this wimpy sound around. I'm like, that sounds like Sputnik. <laughs> man, we're coming in with the big guns. When he, I think it ended up being like Apollo 11, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was Apollo 11. <laughs> like, yes, we need the big the big rockets. Remember when we were doing, uh, oh, uh, Giant Dipper, trying to get the, uh, the oh, yeah. this, trying to get the roller coaster sound. <laughs> you know, what does the girl say every time at the beginning? In the, in the little track, if you listen to real closely at the beginning, what, Joey always cracks me up. What does it say? Hey, get on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, get on. <laughs> you listen real close and the girl goes, hey, get on. <laughs> so play it live. Joe will turn over to me and go, hey, get on. And we'll start the song. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, here in Appleton, we've got this uh, internet radio station, Code Zero Radio, and they've been gracious enough to help promote into the music and they're a good group of guys. They've been playing several tracks of yours, like Tiki Woodbridge, and they've played the cover of Beautiful Day and a couple others from Surfidia as well. I've also heard cuts from Surfidia on, like, say, Surf Rock Radio. And uh, have your songs picked up an airplay around the country or other parts of the world as the year has gone on? Probably the things that you just said, you know, with the Internet, I know that uh, John Paul Bollock, uh, who's who plays with Surfer Joe and um, he's with uh, the Scimitars and um, Tiki Aki Orchestra, a lot of the, the high tide groups he plays with. And he has his own radio show uh, called um, Fiberglass Jungle or something like that. I okay. forget the name of it. Sorry, but he plays to a, a very worldwide audience. There's a guy out of Louisiana down in New Orleans, uh, a guy named Hunter. 
and he plays a bunch of our stuff uh, has in the past. And, um, you know, like I said, with the UK magazine, there's a, there's a distributor over there that's been selling our, our music for us over there. And we partnered not only with Pacific records, but we also partnered with Sherawaji records and Sherawaji specializes more in vinyl. And so they wanted to put the album out on vinyl where Pacific records really doesn't do vinyl and CD. They're mostly streaming. So we actually work with both labels, kind of Pacific's kind of the main label, and we've done a licensing deal. And Sherawaji is out of the UK in Europe and in Asia as well. So I'm sure there's different places the music's going. We don't even know, <laughs> which is cool. But uh, yeah, it, it seems to be worldwide. You guys deserve it. I mean, when I listen to it, you guys seem to have something a little bit more, a little bit above what everybody else seems to be putting out, and that's what I really appreciate. I mean, you guys really take the time to craft songs, and that's like the cut above. Thank you. That was one of the things we really wanted to do when we were talking about putting together this band. It was like, I wanted great songs, you know? Mm -hmm. Kind of like what Bob Spaulding said, I, I have to agree with. You know, I'd heard number of bands. That's why I like Low Straight Jackets. They actually had songs you could remember, kind of hum along to, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though they didn't have words, you know, I, I love the iconic surf songs from the 60s. I mean, you listen to these songs. Some of the aficionados don't call it all surf, but let's face it, everybody calls songs like Apache. It was made famous by the shadows in England. But, you know, you hear a melody like Apache or you hear Walk Don't Run by The Ventures. You hear obviously Wipeout by the Safaris, Pipeline by the Chantays, even songs like by the Pyramids, uh, Penetration. You hear these melodies and they're just, you've heard them before, even Dwayne Eddy doing, you know, Peter Gunn, that da na 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. It's such iconic, the iconic riff, if you will. And so that's what I wanted to do. And when I heard Matt's demos, I heard that. That was one of the things I first heard in the music. I'm like, oh, okay, you know how to write a song. You know how to put good arrangements around the song too. And so when we came together for Surfidia, all of us, um, what I was hoping really did happen beyond what actually was just so much even better than what I could even think, which was an unexpected pleasure, but we're all really proud of the album and we're just stoked that, you know, we're getting the awards. We're stoked we're getting feedback from people who listen to the album, you know, and you're listening now please let us know what you think you go on our website thetermaliners.com or thetermaliners at gmail.com we'd love to hear what you think and you know hopefully we'll be able to put out more in the future now we talked a little bit earlier one of the accolades uh that surfidia has gotten is you've gotten a grammy nod at least for the initial round here of voting I personally don't understand how the whole process works to get from where you guys are now to actually being in the final nominees. Any one of you guys can explain that? Well, um, what I've been told from uh, Brian Wickin, our uh, the CEO of Pacific Records, he told me, he says, well, there's these 12,000 voting members of the Grammys. And mostly, I think if you've been nominated for a Grammy or won a Grammy, you're a lifetime member. So anybody who's ever won or been nominated is a lifetime member. So that's probably, I don't know, 5,000 or whatever, a bulk there of people. But it's kind of a political 
thing a little bit because you have to get Grammy voting members to vote for you. And it's like, well, how do they even hear about you? They've never heard of us. You know, the good thing about our category, best contemporary instrumental, is that the, the competition isn't as strong as maybe best pop album. Like John, our friend Johnny Tarr, uh, he's on Pacific Records as well. And Matt and Miles actually play with him and produce for him uh, as well. He's up against Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran. You know, <laughs> much steeper <laughs> competition. Yeah. Than, and of course, everybody else is, you know, every other pop artist in the world's on there won a Grammy as well. So in the instrumental category, I think this group Snarky Puppy has won the last four. And they're a bunch of like super excellent studio professionals, you know, that have got mm-hmm. together. They're just legend. But they're, you know, they're not pop, you know. Who's ever heard of Snarky Puppy except for a bunch of musician types, you know, who love kind of their jazz funk kind of thing. So so all that to say is Brian told us, he said, out of all of our acts, you probably have the greatest chance at getting a nomination, at least, because your category is so small compared. So we'll see. We find out on November 10th, which is another nine days from now. So we'll uh, see what happens. Who knows? We've contacted everybody we know. We've. We even did a little marketing on our own and worked with a, an agency to help uh, that had a lot of email addresses. So we were able to kind of utilize their resources to get the word out about us. Well, let's turn a corner here, kind of a little bit away from the music. And it's something that uh, a couple of you guys have already talked about, but I want to come back to it a little bit. And one thing that listeners might be wondering is, okay, this is a surf band do these guys actually surf? And so (laughs) are you guys surfers? And obviously, Devin, John, you both uh, acknowledge that you are. Um, What kinds of surfing do you do? And what are some of your favorite surfing spots? John? (laughs) Well, tourmaline, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Tourmaline Surf Park in San Diego. I mean, is there any other place? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love surfing. I primarily longboard. Um, I have a couple longboards that are in the nine foot six range, uh, right around there. And then I also do a little bit of like a mid length seven 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 six board up seven two. Uh, but I prefer just logging, longboarding. And I probably surf San Onofre State Park in Southern California. It's the northern uh, San Diego County. That's probably my the place I do most of my surfing. Yeah, I try to get out. Used to get out about three or four days a week. Now I'm down to maybe once a week. You know, but uh, I love Tourmaline. Tourmaline Surf Park uh, has a special place in my heart. You know, um, that's where one of my sons learned to surf, and uh, it's just that's an epic. It's such a friendly, cool vibe, full of so much heritage in the surf world. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Tourmaline is where we learned, that's where we got our name, the, the Tourmalineers. And uh, there are surfers that are iconic in our area. Well, one is the surfboard shaper, Larry Gordon, with Gordon and Smith Surfboards. You may have heard of them. They're pretty big worldwide. It started shaping in the late 50s when they started, they came out with the uh, polystyrene foam boards, you know, after they went from the wood 
redwood and balsa wood, you know, in the late fifties, you know, someone in scientists invented the polystyrene. And so Larry Gordon and uh, these guys were able to kind of capitalize on that. And from that, it attracted a lot of surfers and tourmaline was probably, <laughs> there's a whole movie about it actually about how that was a place where um, the cops actually wanted to ban and the neighbors in San Diego wanted to ban surfing in the early sixties. Cause the surfers would like dress in people's lawns, <laughs> pee on their lawn and stuff and like ruin their front. And so surfers weren't known as being these upstanding they were kind of the hoodlums of the beach. And so they actually banned the surfers from the rest of the beach and made them a spot called Tourmaline and said, okay, if you're going to surf in San Diego County, which has what, maybe 75 miles of coastline. And they said, well, you're going to surf here at Tourmaline. We're going to build you a parking lot and you're going to surf right there. And we're going to put a bathroom and you got from here to here to surf, you know, surf there. And that's, and so in this movie, they actually depicted, it's called a, a line in the sand. It was, it was on PBS. If you want to look it up and um, they actually went to court over it and the court overturned the cities in the neighborhood wanting to, to ban surfing in San Diego, <laughs> and, but the surf park stayed and it's kind of the hub of kind of that vintage longboard vibe, you know, I know Matt and, and uh, Joe, Matt, you know, Joe's from the La Jolla area, which is just around the corner from there. And then Matt, you served in PL, right? Point Loma? Yeah, OB, but mostly the Sunset Cliffs. Yeah, that's another great place. I went to college right there. Point Loma Nazarene University is right on the cliff. And there's just yeah. some amazing surf breaks. Some of the best surf in the world really is right there. In fact, when Hawaiians want to come to the mainland and go to school, they go to Point Loma. <laughs> it's the surf as close as they can get to back home. So yeah. there's our story. Miles, you a surfer? Um, I mean, I have, but no, I wouldn't call myself a surfer. <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> All right. All right. So surf music in general has a pretty solid following but the genre you know like anything else it has its surges and its ebbs in popularity besides you guys there's a number of really good surf bands out there that really nail the classic sounds and some that are doing some boundary pushing you know they're extending the appeal of surf music to a wider demographic what are your opinions on the current state of surf music and what do you think the future holds for it yeah that's a good question well you know i guess i'll i you know being around my dad with the safaris and stuff all the years i've been i've watched surf music my whole life so i have kind of a span i've seen what the safaris have kind of had their initial hit in 63 for, you know, and then the British invasion came and kind of destroyed all American music. Really. If you, if you didn't wear a, you know, a mop top wig and beetle boots and play a Rickenbacker guitar, you know, you weren't cool from 65 on. And it wasn't really until about the late seventies, early eighties with the whole punk new wave movement that kind of came through in, in rock that 
these bands like the Ramones and X and B-52s, they would start playing these Mose rights and they'd bring up the, this, you know, instead of having the Jimmy Page, Les Paul, and everybody had to have the Marshall stacks and all that kind of the big, they started getting the old Fenders back out, you know, and playing a Jazzmaster or a Fender Jaguar or, or a Stratocaster like Dick Dale, and, but playing with the reverb and having more of a cleaner sound. Um, double picking and all that. So really, that really came into vogue in bands like the Safaris, Dick Dale, the Ventures came out of retirement and started playing again regularly and touring. You know, Dick Dale had almost completely stopped playing. The Ventures stopped playing. The Safaris definitely stopped playing. And so there was a group uh, called John and the Night Riders with a guy named John Blair. He had his own band and they would they were starting to play places like the Whiskey A Go-Go up in Hollywood and headlining on a Saturday night. You know, there were other bands like the Surf Punks came out. Uh, and they were more punk, rocky, surf, quasi thing. But uh, that kind of re-energized. And then you had another wave of surf with the 90s with bands like Low Straight Jackets and um, Lakey and the Cosmonauts from, you know, Europe and that kind of thing. So the Europeans really picked up on surf music. So, again, the, the movie Pulp Fiction came out around the same time and you heard Miserloo right at the beginning. Quentin Tarantino started using surf in the, his soundtracks. And that really re-energized the genre and kind of brought it back into pop. You know, for the Safaris, the big deal was soundtracks. Uh, Wipeout, their, their original version, was in like movies like Dirty Dancing. That album went triple platinum, you know. And anybody who had a writer's credit on that was just like, you know, <laughs> got a good royalty check or two or three. After that, um, a lot of Disney films have come out. Robert De Niro, Meet the Parents came out. You know, so if you go to my dad's house, he's got a bunch of platinum and gold albums from movie soundtracks. Surf music kind of goes in this 10 year cycle of kind of resurges in some new form. You know, and I think in recent history, we've seen it come up again. Uh, a lot of a younger generations come up with it. Groups like uh, the Messer Chups, uh, the Surfragettes, the all-girl group, you know, they're out there and they're cute girls with go-go boots and beehive haircuts and mini skirts out there playing. And they're pretty good. I mean, they sound really Joe and I went and saw them at the Surf Guitar 101 Festival in 2019 and, you know, really enjoy their sound. And uh, Surfer Joe, Lorenzo, I mean, they're putting on festivals now, like, the Safaris, we went and played the Surfer Joe Music Festival in Laverno, Italy last July. And man, there was a couple thousand people out there. It was probably the biggest surf show I'd seen since I'd been a kid, seeing the Safaris play with the Beach Boys or whatever, you know, that kind of scene. So it's really neat to see a new generation of people coming up who really love the instrumental surf stuff. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of trying to be a part of that scene and uh, provide new music. And uh, we, we've stretched the boundaries a little bit, but we still try to keep the surf guitar, the vintage surf reverb sound in the center. And we've changed some of the rhythms and the feels, and, but the writing and the, the basic surf guitar tone is definitely, definitely classic.
Now, obviously, the focus for you guys right now is progressing in the Grammy voting. And aside from that, you have a standing monthly gig at Tio Leo's Lounge in San Diego. And you've also got plenty of other gigs. What else is on the horizon for the Termaliners? And is there any discussion at this point regarding any new songs or maybe the next album? Well, that is a good question. You know, we're, we've kind of just wanted to see what this would do and maybe ask us in nine days. <laughs> we'll see. If we get nominated for a Grammy, that might be a game changer. I don't know, but I know Matt's been writing some material. I've been writing some material. John's been egging us on to do some new stuff. So, you know, Miles will put a bug in your ear. Maybe you want to do something, but, um, I know our record company, I probably shouldn't say this, but our record company is connected with Dave Grohl's studio from Foo Fighters up in L.A. I think it's called 606 Studios or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, right now they're trying to get us up there to do like a single, like a 45, a seven inch kind of thing where we do a couple, go up there and record a couple songs in Dave's studio. We have access potentially to go do that. So something like that would be fun. Uh, do a couple songs for that. And then on the live front, you know, we've been, the Tio Leo's thing was, we've been doing that for five years and it's really helped us hone our craft and come up with our sound, the Termaliner sound, of course, doing the studio work as well as the combination of the, the live and that. So having that consistent gig has kind of been that woodshed plus other gigs that we've done, but we've got some offers to go up to the Bay area and play up there. And there's also an offer to go and play in Italy uh, next summer at the Surfer Joe Festival. So we're still trying to see if we're going to, the Termaliners will go out this year potentially and and do that. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, we're having fun doing what we're doing and we're just kind of taking it day by day. Well, if you guys find yourself going to Italy next summer, on your way back, make a stop in Wisconsin. We would love to see you here. (laughs) <laughs> right on right on sounds good all right well one person that i want to mention is your manager robin peters Devin, you brought robin up before and she was on the show recently and 
man, I got to tell you, I've never seen someone work as hard as she does, you know, not just with you guys, but with the other acts that she manages. Plus, she's, you know, the work that she's doing with Saving Starlight. I'd love to see that venue resurrected and you guys play in there. I think that would be something special. Yeah, maybe we can play the opening night when they get the thing going. That would be great. But yeah, Robin's really been helpful. And, you know, like I said, she helped get Ron Blair on the album. And, um, you know, she does a lot of the bird dog and calling and making the negotiations uh, with the different venues we play at. So she's been a real help. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we're about to wind up the show here, but before we do, Devin, where can folks find the Termaliners online and buy Surfidia and your other releases? I mentioned before the Termaliners.com. Uh, you can get us there on the website. Of course, we're on social media on Facebook and Instagram at the Termaliners. Also, we have Bandcamp. That's probably the best way to buy the physical products. We do have Termaline Dream on there, the Christmas album. We have Surfidia. We have all of those albums on CD. And then we have the Christmas album on vinyl. And then we have the uh, Surfidia on 12-inch ocean blue vinyl. That's beautiful. And that's put out by Shirawaji. So all that you can get on Bandcamp. Of course, you can go on PacificRecords.com. You can stream us. We're on every streaming platform known to man. <laughs> Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, all that kind of stuff. Apple Music, you can download or stream. It's all there. Yeah. And I got to tell you, with the holidays coming up, that Christmas album of yours is incredible. Folks, go out and get this thing. You'll play it to death. Guys, I got to tell you, it's been a lot of fun getting to know you tonight and digging into this album, Surfidia. It's just fantastic. Let's go around the horn one more time, and you guys are free to plug any of the other bands, gigs, musical ventures that you got going, as well as how can folks find you individually online. And let's start with John this time. <laughs> hey, um, so right now, uh, the Termaliners, I'm putting all my time and energy into the Termaliners. Um, that's my main focus right now. And what we have uh, ahead of us is, I think we have a pretty exciting future. And uh, I think uh, this band, there's so much joy just when we get together and play and just providing those moments for people when we play live. Um, you know, that's kind of the, the goal every time, you know, um, just providing a great time for our, our listeners, our fans and new fans and whoever we can reach. So that's kind of where I'm putting all my, uh, my focus, uh, I, right now, that's that's it for me. I mean, uh, I've done stuff in the past, but right now, this is where I'm at. Sure. Yeah. Matt, how about you? Oh, I feel real fortunate. I, I get to play with a bunch of great musicians in San Diego. and and uh, But my heart now is really doing, uh, helping people, uh, younger artists get going and, and developing younger artists. And I'd really like to uh, get into maybe working with kids more like I, I was talking to Devin and the guys a little bit about trying to get in, in kind of a program with schools where the termaliners can uh, go in and in play at, at schools and help young people try to figure out how to get along with each other. So that's kind of where I'm thinking. Sure. Joe. 
Yeah, so I, I feel the same. I'm real fortunate to be playing with the Termalaners. Um, and then like the other guys, I play for the King of Kings. I'm involved in worship and praise uh, at church. Been doing that for over 30 years. And then also I, ha I have my own surf band that is a little more part-time than this. And we're called the Bird Rockers. And so we do, uh, you know, different locations, parties, stuff like that. Excellent. Nice. Miles? Um, yeah, I play in a bunch of, you know, different bands around town. A lot of amazing musicians. and um, But I'm happy to to be talking to these guys. And, you know, it's ex exciting to think about working on something else real soon, you know, definitely. Excellent. And Devin, how about you? Yeah, you know, I still play with my pops. You know, with the safaris, I, I'm privileged enough to play with him. And I've played with him for about 25 years now as his second second guitarist, his support guitarist. But, um, you know, that's mostly his vision. It is his vision is what, you know, we, we support him. And But uh, the Termalinus is, is kind of a passion project for me to do more of my own creativity and add more leadership in that way. And so for me... Uh, I kind of get the best of both worlds, you know, I get to play Wipeout, you know, <laughs> with the safaris. <laughs> right. And that, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a rush. We're going to go on tour with the safaris in February. We're going to play with Surfer Joe. Uh, he's going to open. We're going to do some dates in like Vegas and San Francisco, San Diego and Orange County and, February and you know when we finish playing our set and then you know we usually close with wipeouts kind of the big finale at the end and man it's always a rush I mean it never gets old and talking to the fans is a lot of fun you know the merch table afterwards but like I said the Termalinators thing is is near and dear to my heart because it's where I get to be creative and I get to help lead and, and be, be a part of the vision but you know for me the Termalinators is not me you know it's not Devin and the Termalators. I really see it. This is a collaborative effort. I love these guys. I, I couldn't pick a better group of guys on planet Earth to play with. I, I really appreciate them. And it has been an extreme joy to do it and from my heart. I, I, you know, I dream about it. When I dream about being in a band, this is the band I dream about. So there you go. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, before we go, the last question that I have is with the Grammys and for the people listening out there, how can we keep tabs on how you guys are doing? Well, have us back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not a problem. Anytime you guys are welcome here anytime. And I'm dead serious about that. So again, guys, thank you for taking the time tonight to talk. And it just means a ton, especially with all you guys what you have going on and continued success to you. And I hope we can do it again. Like you just said, Devin, I hope we can do it again and celebrate a trip to the Grammys for you. Sounds fun. good. Thank Sounds you, Rob. Good. Yeah. You Rob, we appreciate yeah. you and what you've done to support the band. So thanks. Absolutely. You're welcome. Well, my guests today have been the award-winning band, The Termaliners. I encourage everybody to check out their album, Surfidia, which is one of the best new albums that I've heard this year. 
Join me next time with guests Jack Swanson and Gary Hutner from Guitars for Vets. Veterans Day is this weekend, so we're going to talk about this program that's giving some incredible help to our vets with PTSD. Thanks for listening, and please share Into the Music with your friends and on your socials. We really appreciate that. So long for now, and we'll see you next time we get Into the Music. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Into the Music. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and odyssey.com. Drop us a line on our socials or email us at intothemusic at newprojectx.com. To support Into the Music, go to buymeacoffee.com slash intothemusic. Your support keeps the show going and is always greatly appreciated. This show is copyright 2023 Project X Productions. Join us next time we get into the music. God bless and take care, everybody.